0: All right. I'll tell you what. Would you turn in your worship guide to the sermon text for today, or if you have a Bible, we're in John 4, 43 through 54. And I want to ask you: Let's honor the Lord by standing while we read this together. After two days he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that the prophet has no honor in his own country.
1: When he arrived in Galilee,
0: the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they had also been there. Once more he visited Canaan in Galilee where he had turned water into wine. There was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Oh, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. And while he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Please speak to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You can be seated. Well, this is the story of what John, the gospel writer, calls the second sign. We have been in John's Gospel for quite a while now, moving slowly, we call it a slow hike, because we're going slowly, so we can see all the sights. And it's significant that John calls this the second sign. Let's stop for a moment there, and pay attention to that. Depending on who you ask, there's either seven or eight signs in John's Gospel. Seven sounds like a holy number, but I, I think there's eight. But that's, maybe we can talk about that over coffee one day. Or at the camp out. Um, but there's seven or eight signs in John's gospel. John John points them out. And signs in John's gospel are miracles. If you read the gospel of Luke or something like that, you know, there's miracles happening all over the place. But in John, when he records them, it's very, very intentional. And he calls them signs. There's the water into wine thing, Jesus in Cana of Galilee, turns water into wine at the wedding. Here's the next one, same city, Cana of Galilee, healing the royal official's son. The next one is in John five, that's where he heals a man with a with a disability near Pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem. The next one is when he feeds the multitude. Uh, then you have walking on water. There's healing of the man born blind. There's raising Lazarus from the dead. That's seven. And then the argument is over whether number eight should be Jesus raising from the dead himself. I think that's a pretty good one we should count. So eight signs, okay? Alright, so eight signs in John's Gospel. Now these signs, John records them purposefully. It's intentional. Now when it comes to when we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's
1: some relevant discussion
0: around what Jesus was trying to do when he did his miracles. Was he trying to prove who he was? Was he trying to show what the kingdom is like? That's fine. But when we read John's gospel, John gives us the reasons why Jesus did this act. John is very specific. If we go back and we read the go back to the water to wine thing. Um, John 2.11 It says, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee when he turned water into wine. This was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. And then in our story, this was the second sign Jesus performed. So this whole sign thing, it's a theme that runs throughout John's gospel. In fact, I remember when I was first learning uh, to preach, I was preaching at a little church. I think it was... Then I was preaching at a little church in Scappoose. Um, I think that was the right time. Anyway, I was trying to figure out what I'm going to do. What I'm going and I remember somebody suggesting, "Oh, you can do the, the, the series on the signs in John's Gospel." It, it's a thing preachers do. It's a theme. John wants us to know that Jesus's miracles even though maybe they were about other things too. They were about nothing less than Jesus trying to show his glory to the people. God revealing his glory to the world through Jesus. This is a major theme in the book we read in the prologue. The word became flesh, made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, glory of the one and only Son, he came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Signs are things you look at, are things you see. The gospel writer wants us to know that in Jesus, the glory of God is made visible. It can be seen. Now, uh, that's interesting, because in this story, We have an account of an episode where Jesus uh, does this sign, but this sign is actually not visible to the people who were looking for it, and it was only really visible to the person who was content with receiving it and believing it without physically seeing it with his eyes. What do I mean? This second sign where Jesus revealed his glory, uh, it happened far away. And we have this story of all these people welcoming Jesus because they had seen what he had done before. And they don't get to see what he does here. They don't receive it. The only person who does receive it is the person who's content with seeing it uh, in his heart. Here's the idea. In John's Gospel we have these stories about God making His glory visible through Jesus. right here, we have this little piece to remind us that God making His glory visible through Jesus sometimes means believing it without seeing it. Now that seems contradictory. It's not. It's not a contradiction. I think we can call it a paradox. It is true, though. So let's get into the story and let's see if we can untangle this paradox and figure out what's in it for us. Because God calls us to see the glory of Jesus. But God also often calls us to believe without seeing. What are we supposed to do with that? All right, so here we are in this story. Jesus comes to Cana of Galilee. He's been here before; he did the water to wine thing. But he's coming here. Uh, it says that there are people here in Galilee. They're, you know, normally a prophet's not welcome in his hometown, uh, but here they're welcoming Jesus. And why? Well, they saw what he did in Jerusalem. Remember, last time Jesus was in Jerusalem, in John's Gospel, was when he did that big temple protest thing. We got the Made the whip of cords, drove out the money changers, sick to do. Remember that story? Apparently some people had seen that word got around in Galilee. This is who Jesus is. He comes and they welcome him. And um, that's what's going on. And then there's this royal official who's begging Jesus to heal his son. And Jesus returns and he tells the people, unless you people see signs, you're never going to believe. And then this royal official is like, ah, please heal my son. Jesus says, okay, your son's going to live. Go on your way. This guy's going home. On the way, he gets the news. Right at that moment, his son was healed. He never sees his son in this story, but he believes him and his whole household. So that's the story. We have people who want to see, to believe, and they don't get it. And then we have this one person who's content with not seeing, and he's the one who believes Okay, so there's a principle here. The principle is that the glory of Jesus, who he is and what he does, everything that God has for the world in Jesus, is often invisible to those who insist on seeing it before they believe it. But it's often freely granted to those who are content with believing it first before they see it with their eyes. The Galileans welcomed Jesus because they saw what he did in Jerusalem. They wanted to see more. And they didn't get to But this royal official comes to Jesus because he heard about him. And he never saw the miracle take place, but he received it, he believed it, and he was changed. I think we could say that in this story we are presented with a picture of two kinds of faith. Faith that insists on seeing to believe. You know what? That doesn't seem all that unreasonable. In fact, we have a whole gospel about how God is showing his glory through Jesus. Doesn't seem unreasonable. So there's a faith that insists on seeing to believe. Strange thing though that Jesus in this story basically ignores it. In fact, he kind of rebukes it. You people.
1: And then there's a second
0: kind of faith. A faith that believes without sin. And in the end, that's the faith that gets the blessing. So, two kinds of faith. I got to see it first. I got to see the signs first. And then I'll believe. And then the second faith, I'll believe whether or not In this story, Jesus ignores, even rejects the first kind, but accepts the second kind. This should lead us to ask, what kind of faith do I have? Am I a, I have to see it first, and then I believe it person? Or am I a, you know what, I'll believe it, and then we'll see, (laughs) kind of person?
1: Well, as I think about my own life,
0: to be honest with you. As I think about our community, as I think about the stream, the greater stream, the tradition of Christianity that our church is a part of, I think we have a strong tendency toward that first kind of faith. I think we're, I, I know that I am. I'm the kind of person that wants to hold back. I don't want to give my heart unless I see the signs first. I want God to to demonstrate first. I want to see the flair. I want to see that uh, God is doing something that really excites me. Um, I want to see that that God is doing something. He's calling me to something that has some kind of social credibility. Whether he's calling me to a church or he's calling our church to do something. Or he's calling me to to serve him somehow. I want to make sure that it has that shows signs of being socially reasonable. I don't want to be some kind of radical. Um, and, and I'm picking. I want to know that whatever God is calling me to, whatever God has for me, whatever God has for our church, or in seasons when I was maybe looking for a church, uh, I'm picking. And I want God to show me on the front end, whatever He's calling me to, it's going to satisfy my standards. I'm a history buff. I'm a theology buff. God's going to call me to something. I want to make sure that whatever it is has some kind of historical precedent. I want to make sure that it's not rooted in shallow theology. I want to make sure that whatever it is isn't annoying. I want to see the signs. And then, once God demonstrates to me that whatever He's calling me to or calling our church to or whatever once he shows me that it that it satisfies my desire to see flare uh, you know what we can call the three f's flare fat and fuss <laughs> uh, then then i'll believe then i'll participate then i'll do it i tend to be and let me see the signs first and you know what i'm going to guess that many of you do too I think there's something in the water of our stream of Christianity that wants that. Um, before we do something, we want to know and there's visible signs. No, I think I hope that you're hearing me here. And then and then and then I'll and then I'll believe. I think I'm gonna insist on seeing the signs before I believe person. I think a lot of my friends are, and I think lots of us are also. Why is that? Are you like me? Do you have trouble trusting God unless he proves to you first in whatever situation you're in? Uh, why is that? Well, there's this little thing in verse 48. I'm sorry, not verse 48. Verse uh, Verse 44, now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Uh, That's an interesting statement here. Jesus is walking into town, and then it's in parentheses in my English Bible. John the Gospel writer saying, hey, Jesus had told us, Jesus had said before, the prophet has no honor in his own country. And then it says, but when he arrived, the people welcomed him. That sets our story up with a kind of tension. Uh, the Gospel of John doesn't report the time when Jesus said that, but we have in Matthew, Mark, and Luke a little story about when Jesus was teaching in a synagogue in Nazareth, and he was teaching, and the people there were amazed at his teaching. But then they started to ask, wait a second, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't that Mary and Joseph's kid? Isn't that James and Jude? Isn't that their brother? We know him. And it says the people started to be offended. Who does he think he is? Yeah, I can imagine. Does he think he's smarter than us? think he's, who, who is this guy? We know this guy. And in that story it says that Jesus finished his teaching and it says that he couldn't do any miracles there because they didn't have any faith. And he went on his way and told his disciples A prophet's not without honor, except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. Now, I can't be sure, but I think that John, the gospel writer, when he says, now Jesus had pointed out a prophet has no honor in his own country, but when we arrived, when he arrived in Galilee, they welcomed him. I think he's thinking about this story, this thing that had happened in Nazareth one time. And that's significant. He's telling us that when they went to Galilee, they were going to a people who knew him, or at least they thought they knew him. They were familiar with him. They had grown up with him. They thought that, oh yeah, Jesus, we know him. Jesus is one of us. We're Jesus, we are Jesus' people. At least that's what they thought. They were so familiar with Jesus that in fact that they under normal circumstances, were pretty blind to who he actually was. But John is showing us that so that's normal, but in this story, it's like he's saying, man, normally a prophet's not welcome in his own town. Jesus said that one time. But this time when they showed up, the people welcomed him. That was weird. They welcomed him because they saw what had happened in Jerusalem. We should take all of this in. Why is it that I myself, why is it that so many of us withhold our faith when we do this sort of bartering thing with God? I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to really open myself up. I'm not going to really go for whatever you're calling me to do until you show me the signs. Why do we do that? Well, I wonder if it has something to do with the fact that we're church people. I wonder if it has something to do with the fact that we're so familiar with Jesus, at least who we tend to think he is. I wonder if we've sort of, we've been around Jesus for so long. We know that guy. Yeah, Jesus, that's the church guy. That's the, yeah, we know him. The people in Galilee, they were so familiar with Jesus that well, normally they couldn't see him. But once they started seeing signs, ooh, they were excited. They weren't excited just by his presence. They had to see him do a trick. I wonder if we're like that. It says that In that story, when Jesus said that he couldn't do any miracles in the place because the people didn't have any faith, because the prophet had no honor in his hometown, I wonder if he ever feels that way about us. I wonder if there's something he wants to do in our church, in our families, in our communities. We're so familiar with him, who we tend to think he is that we're no longer excited by his actual presence. we want to put a quarter in him and watch him do a trick. And then we'll get excited. And then we'll have faith. And to this kind of thing, Jesus says, Ah, you people.
1: So that's the first kind of faith.
0: And you know, I think that I have it. I think that many of you have it. I think that we have it. I think we tend toward it. I think we're a lot like the Galileans. So what about the second kind of faith? Well, here comes this royal official. Here it comes. Uh, it says he came from, it says he heard Jesus was in Galilee, uh, but his son lay sick at Capernaum, and he comes all the way to Cana finds Jesus. A Capernaum is about 20 miles from Cana. Remember, no cell phones, no Twitter, no Google Maps, no like Instagram. He couldn't check Jesus' social media and see where he was. This guy had probably spent days running around, looking for Jesus, asking people about Jesus. He said he's royal official. He has people. Sending people out to find Jesus. He finally, he's looking. He finally, find, find, he finally finds him in Canaan. And he comes up. Sir, come before my child dies. That's him. And it's to this guy that Jesus says, go. Your son will live. Jesus doesn't even hesitate. And the man says he took Jesus in his word and he departed while he was still in the way, his servants met him with the news his boy was living. Remember, he, he hasn't even seen it yet. He asks about the time, yesterday at 1 o'clock. Oh, that's the exact time Jesus said your son will live. And then he and his whole household ends up believing. That's the second thing. Believing without seeing. And that's the guy that gets the blessing. So here's the question. How do I get that faith? How do I get away from my so familiar with my uh, domesticated idea of Jesus that I can no longer see the real Jesus? And how do I get to the I I get the blessing I experience the miracle I experience believing me and my community me and my household I don't even need to see it. I'm just it's awesome. How do I get the fullness of the Christian life? Everything God's calling me to. How do I get Jesus to intervene with my problems? How do I get the healing? How do we get the church growth? How do we get the stuff? Without seeing. And we got to be like this guy. I think that's what John is showing us. Look at the... There's three things that this guy does. i sure a three-point sermon... Note taker, you can have three things right here. Three things that this guy does that we could emulate. And I think the gospel writer is calling us to emulate. Um, Three things right here. Approach, listen, obey. First, he approaches Jesus. He looks all over, presumably, looks all over, maybe he got lucky on the first try. He looks all over Galilee for him. 20 miles to find Jesus. He's active. He's not passive. It says the Galileans welcomed Jesus. They stood there while Jesus came in. Not this guy. He goes looking for Jesus. This is active. When he finds Jesus, it says he begged him to come. In the Greek, that beg word, uh, in the Greek it, it has this thing about continual action. So the image there is that this guy is Begging. He's continually begging. We can imagine this guy is following Jesus around. Please, please, please. Excuse me, excuse me. Almost like a, like maybe you've seen like a reporter following somebody with a microphone. Like this guy is following Jesus around, begging him. He is being active. He is aware of his need. My son, Jesus, please come. He's humbling himself. This guy is a royal official. Jesus is a peasant Galilean. And he comes, sir, please, please, I need you. He's humbling himself. I think there's something here that we can emulate, guys. You want God to bless you? You want him to bless our church? You want your life to be filled with... Are you doing something about that? Are you actively pursuing Jesus? Are you pursuing God the best you know how? Are you aware that you have need? Are you aware that you are a sinner? Are you aware that our church has needs? Are you humbling yourself? Are you continually asking? Are you looking for where he is, where he might be working? want the kind of faith that Jesus responds to, don't stand idly by in your life and wait for Jesus to just show up at your front door and woo you with signs and wonders. Go looking for him. Pray. Read your Bible. Ask questions. Come to worship. Ask Christian friends and family about their experiences with him. Do research. Do everything that you know that you might be able to do to find him. Jesus himself said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Do you want the kind of faith that gets the blessing? Get up and do something. Do you want God to come and bless our church with new life and new growth? Get up and do something. Do you want your life to bear evidence of God's presence? Do something. Be active. Next, listen. Remember, this is faith that believes without seeing. It's not faith that believes without hearing. Back in the book of Romans, it says that faith comes from hearing. Listen, notice how the royal official responded when Jesus said, Go, and your son will live. It says that he took Jesus at his word. Literally, in the Greek it says, the man believed the word that Jesus had said to him. How did this man find Jesus in the first place? He heard. Jesus was in Galilee. John the Gospel writer, you, you can see, he's such a good writer. You can see him contrasting this hearing theme with this seeing theme here. The, the people, have, they had seen what he did in Jerusalem. They're looking for the signs. Jesus says, no, no, no. But here's a guy who heard, who listened. And Jesus says, okay, this is... In John's Gospel, Jesus is presented to us at the very beginning as the Word of God. Throughout the Gospel, we see he's also the one who speaks the words of God. Jesus is the Word. He's the speaker of the Word. If we want to experience the life and the light and the freedom and the healing that Jesus gives, we need to use our ears. We need the Word. Hey, how do I do this? Um, I I have heard um, myself, and you can find some like on YouTube and podcasts, and um, this was popular, especially a few years ago in our city. Lots of churches were teaching this, little seminars or sermon series, is, or podcasts or whatever on how to hear from God. What do I have to do? How do I hear from God? How do I hear God's voice? So a lot of that stuff is like, hey, learning like, how to quiet yourself, a go away, um, kind of open your mind and your heart, maybe go uh, do some kind of contemplative exercise. Some of that is really good. Some of it is not so good. Some of it's really good. But a lot of that stuff misses this giant, glaring, huge, obvious reality. And it's this. That all of Scripture is god It It's useful for us in the Christian life. Do you want to hear from God? Find one of these and read it. These are His words. If you want to hear with your ears, read it out loud. Go to places where the Word is read out loud. Listen to the Bible. Psalm 33 says, By His his Word, by the Word of the Lord, the heavens were made. If God, we hear about that in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, let there be light. If God created the heavens with His word, don't you think He can do something in you when we take in and we read, when we listen to His word? When we listen to the word of Jesus? So, you want the real faith, the real faith that can believe without sin? Approach Him, listen to Him, and rest. Obey. Do the thing the Word says. You you read something in here, it tells you something to do, go do it. Jesus tells the official, go, your son will live. What did the official do? He obeys. He took Jesus at his word, and he departed. And then it was during his obedience, it says, while he was still on the way, that he received the news that his son was healed. We sometimes think, when we get caught in that first kind of faith, if God blesses me, then I'll do what he says. But here we see this royal official modeling for us that the blessing comes in the obedience. In fact, maybe we can even say the obedience is the blessing. So how do we get real, alive, believing without seeing, get the blessing from God, get the life and the life from Jesus, get the healing, get the redemption, get the whole thing? How do we get it? Approach Him, listen to Him, and obey Him. Go to Him,
1: listen to Him, and do
0: what He says. Wait a second. Wait a second, Pastor Charlie. You almost had me. This sounds like moralism. If I want the blessing, if I want the thing that God has for me, then what I need to do is I need to get up, and I need to go find wherever God is, I need to read my Bible better, and I need to do better things. I'm not falling for that. Well, that's what we see here in this story. Where's the gospel in this? How does this work? How is this a Christian story? Because that's exactly what we're reading here. This royal official comes and finds Jesus. He's active. He approaches. He listens to Jesus. He hears. He obeys Jesus. And then he gets the blessing. How is that gospel? How is that for us? How is that not moralism? Well, here's the key. We've got to pay attention to who this royal official is. Who is this person that Jesus is talking to when he says, go and you stumble this"? Who is this person that comes and finds Jesus, listens to him, and obeys Jesus? That's the key. If we forget that, all we have is a story about salvation that's no different than any other spiritual, religious, philosophical, moral system in this universe. Somebody tells you basically all moral religions are the same. You know what? That's kind of true. Almost all of them say, you know what? There's a thing out there to fix your problems and you do these things and you can get it. But not the gospel.
1: So we've got to pay attention to who this guy
0: is because that's where you see the key to all of us it says that this guy is a royal official put on your context brain what's going on in galilee during this time jesus is a poor galilean jew they are being occupied by Roman officials. Royal. Who's royal in Galilee? Well, could be Herod Antipas, the Roman proxy king, or it could be Caesar. Those are our only two options. This guy, whoever he is, works for either. And what that means is this guy is not a Jew. Maybe he's one by birth, but he's definitely been ousted. And this guy is not faithful. He's not part of God's people. This is an outsider. This is an enemy of the people of God and an enemy of God. And it's to this man, an enemy, who comes looking, who comes healing, who comes obeying. And Jesus says your son will live. But you know what? That's actually not the main miracle in the story. The great miracle in the story, the real sign, is that this guy believed him and his whole household. That an outsider, an oppressor, an enemy of God, without even seeing signs, was received by God, granted real faith and brought in, and his story is recorded here. That's incredible. Folks, in the book of James, it says that faith without works is dead. And this story is about that. Here we have the story of an enemy, of an outsider, of someone who doesn't belong, a sinner approaching jesus the best he knows how listening to jesus and obeying jesus he can only do these things because god is already working in his life and jesus receives him jesus accepts him jesus grants his requests and this guy comes to faith this guy is included along with his whole family
1: the royal official's son
0: is not the only person who was raised to life that day. This royal official was raised to life. There's the gospel. And the faith that he displayed is coupled with, bears fruit in him, the work of obedience, the work of activity, the work of hearing. He didn't earn his salvation. Jesus earned it. And Jesus freely gave it. So now, people of God, fellow Galileans, if this enemy, this outsider, this oppressor, is saved by grace through faith, yet he comes approaching, hearing, and obeying, then, oh fellow insiders, fellow Christians, oh if we would only hear and obey the Word and Spirit, oh if we would only look for Him as He did among us, oh if we would only believe without seeing Can you imagine what he might do in us?